If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. How many of you believe that tonight? Then why don't we shout to God with a voice of triumph tonight and thank God. Come on, let it out. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. He is able, then we are able. Hallelujah, because we have his ability. Greater is he that is in us than he that is anywhere else. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians Chapter 1, as we are in this book, hardcore at this point, and we are still in chapter 1, and it's already hardcore. Okay, wasn't last week wonderful? All of the prophetic utterances that were coming out of this church and body, and I just want to say I appreciate all of you very much for yielding to the Spirit of God to be used. I'm particularly excited about the night Derek Miller ministers. I think Sunday night is going to rock and roll. I mean, I think it's just going to be awesome. And I have high expectations, even though I know Derek very well. I didn't mean that as a slam, but uh, maybe it was. I'm, no, I, I really am. I think it's, it's great. And uh, I think... It's the best way to start this conference. I'm believing for good things, big things, and I have a high expectation. Listen to me, and I want to remind you of this. Your expectation has everything to do with your ability to receive. All right? So it's important that you come into this thing, this conference. Well, actually every service, but, you know, this, this conference, believe that God has a special assignment for you, that he has a special word for you, that he is going to speak to Well. What if I don't get prophesied over? Does that mean that God can't speak to you just because somebody didn't prophesy over you? Just being here in this environment, God can speak to you, whether you get a word directly or not. Amen. Amen. This isn't the lottery, right? Isn't the lottery. We're here to receive from God however he chooses to minister to us. And there will be some of you that will receive direct words. Some of you won't. That's Okay. Doesn't make you any less or more of a Christian. Amen. So come with expectation. Because if you come with expectation, you'll always receive something. Amen. I believe that with my whole heart. Amen. Now, we didn't get through all of Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Or I'm sorry. Chapter 1, I was going to try to finish it last week, but we had such a glorious time in the Spirit. And then Sunday morning, wow. Again, that was just awesome. Uh, First service, it was pretty normal. And then second service, something happened. And uh, the Lord began to just work amongst us. The Holy Spirit began to move. How many of you here at the 11 o'clock service? Sunday morning, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we had, I bet, probably half the attendance of that morning of the 11 o'clock service was up here being ministered to. It was just great. God was working mightily. Hallelujah, it was great. Lots of prophetic um, words given and hands laid on. It was just, I, I really enjoyed just the activity of the Spirit. So uh, tonight, let's get into, let's look over it. Um, I think this is where we left off. If you're following on version, you can go back to those notes. Am I right, guys, from last week? Anyone know? Sure. Okay, if you're on version, just search One Cause Church. 
And you can jump right in. We're going to go to number three where it says God's power is active. God's power is active. Now, we did talk about that um, God's power was demonstrated in two major ways. One, that he raised Jesus from the dead. Remember, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And number two, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Two of the greatest acts of power demonstrated by God. He raised his son from the dead and then he seated him at his right hand. The very first man to take that kind of position with God. Isn't that powerful? Now, then um, we saw that Jesus was raised and Jesus was exalted. And then we come to God's power being active. And Jesus' reign in heaven is the topic of verses 21 and 22 here in Ephesians chapter 1, where we see the power of God through our reigning Lord Jesus in action. I love this. Here he seated him at his right hand, verse 21, far above. Everybody say far above. All right? Jesus isn't just kind of more powerful than the devil. He isn't just a little bit above him. The Bible says that he is far above. All right? There's no competition whatsoever. He is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. I believe he's got everything covered. Jesus is highly exalted far above anything and anyone, anytime, and any place. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus has power, according to this, over all spiritual beings, right? Every principality in high places. He is far above all others. His name is above all other names. And the Bible teaches us that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, right? Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to bow. Hey, listen to me. We might as well get in good practice right now Because there is a time when all of us are going to do it together, right? And it's better to do it now than do it then, amen? It's better to get that down right now. Whoever confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he shall be what? Saved. This would have been particularly encouraging to the people in Ephesus and the other cities this letter was sent to because they lived in a highly spiritual culture. We know that there was a lot of magic practiced in Ephesus, and there was a huge temple to the goddess named Diana, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and a lot of spiritual rituals and sorcery and divination, all those things. The words principality and power and might and dominion and everything that is named refer to these spiritual forces, and it's made clear in Ephesians chapter 6, that says that, for we wrestle not with what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, against spiritual, help me, Pastor Holler, wickedness in heavenly places. Yes, thank you, in high places, not in heavenly places, in high places. So he's not just stronger, he's not just over them, he is far above and I want this to be encouraging to you also tonight that there's no need whatsoever to have fear in your life. 
Because Jesus is far above any, any spiritual force. Any of them. There's no need to fear. He's not given you the spirit of fear. But he's given you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. So this is, this is why we don't have any reason to fear. Because in love, the Bible says that there is no fear. As a matter of fact, it says this perfect love casts out how much fear? All fear. Right? Jesus absolutely reigns. He is absolutely in control. He is victorious. There is no one greater than him, right? So what we have to do then is keep our eyes on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? And know that he is stronger than any rule, authority, power, dominion, demon, or temptation to sin. Jesus has the power, I love this, he has the power to reign. He also has the power to be the head. This is what this says. It, it broadens the scope here in verse 22. And it says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Not only the spiritual forces are under Jesus' control, but everything. Now, I want you to jump over to Hebrews chapter 2 for just a moment. Are you okay so far? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. It says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. We'll just stay right there in verse 8. Now, here we find the same theme that we just read. Jesus has everything under his feet and everything is subject to him. Can everybody agree to that? But here's an important thought that helps us understand how Jesus can be in charge when our world and our experience often makes it seem like no one is in charge. All right? It says that we do not yet see all things put under him. Now, there is a time when that is going to happen. Praise God. There is a time when we're going to know that reality. In the spirit, it is already true. But there is a time when Christ Jesus is going to return to this earth and he is going to take complete control and we're going to see the reality of everything under him. But right now we don't see that in the sense of him, him from heaven being here. However, we as the church, as his body in the earth, have a responsibility then to make sure that the world sees him and his power. And his authority in the earth, even right now. We are that in the earth. We are him here. As he is, so are what? We were in this world. And everything is, we just can't see all of it. And the reason is because we don't have the same perspective that God has. We can't see two weeks or two months or 20 years down the road. But this faith that we have does not mean that we sit idly by and simply just, just resign ourselves to everything that comes along. We walk by faith and we exercise that authority that Jesus has, that he has given us in the earth. Yeah. What kind of authority? is? Well, he said, I, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Yeah. And I give you power. Yeah. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
So nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is why you have authority and power to go lay hands on the sick, see them recover, cast out devils, speak in new tongues, all of those kinds of things. See, signs and wonders and miracles happen because you are his emissary in the earth. You represent him. Now, I think a lot of times, but just by reading this, it seems that God has a lot higher view of the church than we do. He sees us in a lot better light than we see ourselves. He really believes that what Jesus did worked. He really believes in the sacrifice of his son. He really does believe that Jesus' blood washed away all of our sins. He really does believe that Jesus' stripes that he took on his back were for your healing. He really does believe that Jesus thoroughly reconciled the world back to God. He does believe that. Amen. Now, the church has got to believe that so that we can see that reality in the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Though in present we can't see it, yet we can believe it, and we can know it, and we can draw strength from it, and not only that, but we can exercise that power and authority in the earth by his, in his name. Jesus' power is for the church. He put all things under his feet. He gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the phrase doesn't stop that he's head over everything. It continues that Christ is head over everything for the church and then continues to describe the church. I want us to just listen to the language of this. This is powerful. Christ as head reigning over everything is amazing enough, right? But here to read that he is over all things for the church to me is even more amazing. Look how he describes us as the church. The fullness of him who fills Everything in every way. Like I said, this is an incredibly high view of the church of God. That is how God sees it. We, who are the church, are the purpose of Jesus' reign. Jesus' reign is for us, the church. I love this. And we, who are the church, are filled with the fullness of Christ. Right now, where you're seated. Won't you just say this? I am filled with the fullness of Christ. That's the truth. So there are no qualifying words. What I like about this verse was, is, is that it doesn't say, ideally, the church is the fullness of Christ. Or at its best, the church is the fullness of Christ. Or the church sure needs to be the fullness of Christ. Right? It says... That's what we are. Plain and simple, that is you, that is me, filled with the fullness of Christ. Mm-mm-mm. And I think the reason a lot of times we don't see that is because we, we've got our eyes on the human institution. Rather than this spiritual reality, rather than this truth, we, we, we see what's tangible, we see what's around us, we see the stuff that's going on in the world rather than the spiritual truth of the Word of God. Rather than the power of the, the great name of Jesus, we get our eyes off of that too often. Yeah. I mean, think about how often do you have the TV on around the house and so you're getting this other perspective and you're hearing this other perspective all the time, the world perspective, all the time, right? Inundated with it. You're just inundated with information all the time. Right? People's views, people's opinions, news, all that kind of stuff. 
right? And if you don't take the time to get your mind set on him, and if you don't take the time to pray in the Spirit, if you don't take the time to look into the Word of God, if you don't take time to hear the Word of God coming to you, what priests, what you reading the Word of God out loud, if you don't take the time to spend with God and get his perspective, then you will not see things how he sees them, and you will not do things as he's called you to do them, right? We, you have to take extra time. This precious time that we have that seems to just be slipping away, you have to take that time of prayer. Let me tell you, you want time to slow down? Start praying. It's amazing how slow time goes when you start praying. Boy, the flesh, it hates that. You ever feel too busy? You feel like your days are going by too fast? Try fasting. It will be the longest day of your life right? You won't be saying stuff like, man, time sure is flying. No, you'll be like, God, it's only been an hour? Oh, I got 23 more hours of this, right? If you're ever having trouble sleeping, just start praying, laying in bed. You'll fall right to sleep. This bores your flesh to death, right? Come on. So we then have to be vigilant then. You have to be vigilant to make that flesh obey. You are in control. God gave you the choice. He gave you the free will. He gave you the life. And he says, now, what are you going to do about it? You can either just live by fleshly whims. Okay, said, ah, said, ah, what will be, will be. Just take whatever life hands me and come up with phrases like, it is what it is. Or everything happens for a reason and just be a victim by circumstance all of your life, or as Curly says, I'm a victim of circumstance. <laughs> or you can take control, or you can be him in the earth. Or you can really believe what God has said about you. Or you can really begin to see your life, see the church of the living God as God Almighty sees it, that Christ is the head, and we are his body, his hands, his feet in this earth, hallelujah, to demonstrate a loving and gracious and powerful giving God. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. All right. I hope I've preached somebody happy because I just got real happy. There was a uh, man named Victor, and Victor, Victor felt like a loser. Imagine that. Victor felt like a loser. He didn't do very well in school. When he was 16 years old, a teacher advised him to drop out of high school and get a job. He didn't do much better in the working world, so that by the time he was 32, he had failed at 76 different jobs. I thought I had a lot of jobs growing up, not even close to this guy. But applying for the 77th job was about to change Victor's life. As a part of the interview process, he was required to take an IQ test. How many of you glad you didn't have to do that? A test designed to measure his intelligence, a score of 100 was considered to be normal. Victor scored 161. He had never before realized it, but Victor discovered that he was a genius. The knowledge of that fact completely transformed Victor's life. Victor Serenko went on to become famous for his research in laser surgery and to become president of Mensa, an organization for geniuses, all because a test said that he was special. See, what would the church, 
look like if each of us truly believed and lived the fact that we, the church, the body of Christ, are filled with all the fullness of Christ. What would that look like? What would it feel like? What would our priorities be? How, how would we care for one another? How would we see one another? How would we talk about one another? How would we treat one another? How would we look at this world all of a sudden? The Bible says that we first take care of the household of faith, that we do good especially to those who are the household of faith. How, how would we view church? How would we view coming into a meeting like this? Well, how would we set our hearts and our attitude and, and how would we gather our families and how would we treat our wives and our children and how would we work and perform on the job if we really believe what God has said about us? Just, just a moment, just a mind change, just a revelation of who we are can change everything. I was sitting with a couple today in Starbucks. Never met them. I, I was actually waiting for Greg Farlaw. I thought we were meeting today, by the way. I guess not. Anyway, so I'm sitting there waiting for Greg. He didn't know. <laughs> I thought we set up a weekly meeting. Anyway, we'll talk about that after church. <laughs> Meet you in the parking lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was there studying anyway, so I was just. And I, and I, you know, when you feel somebody looking at you, right? So I look up, and this guy's like, he's looking over his laptop like this. I'm like, what? And I had this T-shirt on with a guitar on it. He goes, I like that shirt. I said, thank you. I said, my wife got that for me. He said, you play guitar? I said, yeah, a little bit. He said, I do too. I said, well, what? he goes, I need lessons. I, I've been playing for like three years. I need lessons. I said, well, what do you like to play? He goes, oh, you know, like Journey and Boston. And I'm like, mm-hmm, you have my attention. <laughs> so I named all these great bands, you know. And he said, but I, I really love praise and worship. I said, really? You like praise and worship? He said, yeah, I used to lead worship. I took over for a guy named Klaus Kuhn at a church. I was like, Klaus Kuhn? I know Klaus Kuhn. He used to lead worship at Christ for the Nations and classically trained, a phenomenal musician and worship leader. And anyway, and I said, who are you? I can't remember his name. I remember his last name is Moore. I don't remember his first name. It starts with an S, though. We'll call him Sam, just for fun. Less, Sam, uh, Les Moore. Les Moore. <laughs> anyway, he's going to be here Sunday. So Mr. everybody just greet him as Mr. Moore, all right, just until we find out his name. Anyway. But he's, he's telling me about, we're just talking about music and stuff, and he's you know, telling me he needs lessons and things like that. And he said, what do you do? I said, I actually pastor a church. He goes, you kidding me? He goes, I'm looking for a church right now. And I said, well, I believe you found one. <laughs> so I pulled up my chair over next to him and said, thank you, Greg, for not showing up today. You, you had no idea. You were right in the plan of God, dude. Anyway, so uh, we sat down together and, and just talked. And we talked for a long time, and he began to tell me his situation and his, his life story and uh, and, then he, and then his girlfriend came in, and they said, now, we ended up having this whole Bible study together. And I watched this guy begin to change how he viewed his life just by showing him Scripture. And I talked to him about the reality of not being a sinner saved by grace, as so many people are inundated with that mentality. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And understanding that we're not sinners anymore do now hang on a second don't 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 just turn off on me i'm not saying that we don't sin i'm saying we're not sinners that's right uh -huh. amen amen i know that's weird sometimes to think of it like that 
But the bio, being a sinner is one thing. Being saved by grace is something completely different. Because here's the thing. When I got saved, I wasn't just some old rusty part that needed a new paint job. God didn't just kind of repaint the house. Yeah, you look better now. All right. So you're just a sinner saved by grace now. That's the picture, right? No, no, no. The Bible says that I've been made new all over again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things have been made new. How can I say I'm a sinner saved by grace? I'm simply saved by grace. You're simply saved by grace. Sin is gone. The old is gone. Hallelujah. You're a new. Man, I'm talking to this guy about that. He's going, man, I needed to hear that. Holy cow, man, I've been thinking the wrong way. And I said, what the deal is, you are not a sinner. You are now actually the righteousness of God in Christ. See, it wasn't what we were doing that, make, that was making us sinners. We were born into sin. We couldn't help it. We were, we were by nature, the Bible says, we were by nature children of wrath. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll talk about that later. By nature, children of wrath, then we can only follow three different forces. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's all we could do. We were victims to those powers. But praise God, when Jesus Christ became sin for us. See, Jesus didn't just become a sinner. Jesus became sin. So that we who were lost in sin not, would not just have the ability to do righteous things, but we would become righteousness. And when your nature changed, then your actions change. Right? Yeah, we screw up. Yeah, we fall. Yeah, we make mistakes. Yeah, we miss the mark. But that does not define who we are. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting in Romans chapter 7. Can we just go there for just a moment? All right, go to Romans chapter 7. This is a, this is a really powerful thought. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I think somebody needs to hear this tonight. I need to hear it, at least. Mm. Romans chapter 7. And let's go to, <clears throat> mm-hmm. let's say, verse 14. For I know that the, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, all right, listen to this because a lot of us are going to relate. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. <laughs> That's the story of my life right there. All right. For, <laughs> for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I mean, did Paul just pass the buck right there or what? I wish that would have worked on me as a kid, right? Screw up, disobey mom. I can't believe you did that. And say, mom, it was not me who did it, but sin that dwells in me. It's not my fault, right? I don't think she was going to fall for that one, right? All right. Well, let's deal with the sin because it's in the flesh. Bend over the bed, all right? Well, that's what Paul later said. He said, I know that is in that what in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He said, I find then a law that sin dwells. All right, let's just look at it. 
I, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells with me. I find that a law that evil is present with me. The one who wants to do good. How many of you want to do good? Yeah. Right? But how many of you found that evil was present? Yeah. Right? right? If, you, if you haven't figured that out, just pinch your arm. There it is. There it is. For I delight in the law of God according to what? The inward man. But I see another law in my members, that is in this body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So what Jesus, and he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This flesh only has, I mean, it craves, right? And so you find yourself doing what you don't want to do. And that, that, you, that you want to do, you find yourself not doing it, right? Because this flesh is fighting you all the time. It's got these appetites. So Paul says, wait a second, I have to make a separation here. I have to make a, if I'm going to get victory over this, then I cannot identify with just this right here. I delight in the Word of God by the inward man. That's who I really am. I am a spirit. I am a new creation. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And because I, that's who I am, then that empowers me to tell this body, nope, you're not doing that. You're not going to control me. I'm bringing you under subjection. How do we do that? How do we do that? By the mind. Let's look over to the very next chapter, Romans chapter 8. I want you to look at this. It's so good. Is this okay? All right. Look at Romans chapter 8 and along verse 5. 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their what? Minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So it all happens by your choices. It all happens by this mind. That's why we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because you'll serve the flesh by what you think, and, or you'll serve the Spirit by what you think. So I find that a law. I find that a law. The evil's present, but that's not who I am. Sin is present, but I'm not a sinner. I identify with the inward man. Are you hearing me? All right? It's because if you never identify with it, if you never identify with it, listen to me, if you don't identify with it, then it will not have a hold on you. You'll keep sitting where it is. And then you can, you can do what the reader says in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Man, that sounds easy, doesn't it? That sounds easy. Let's just lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Yeah, if you don't identify with it, you can do that. But if you think somehow you're tied into that, it'll, it'll, it'll just be a hold on. It'll be attached to you all the time. You have to say, no, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. And that's not what I'm going to do. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you guys are happy. All right. Now let's continue back over in Ephesians. I'm almost done. Has this helped you so far? Okay. You know what? Let's go over to, um, let's, go, let's jump over to chapter 2 for just a moment. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." I want to say this about, about Jesus for a moment. I'm talking about our condition now, what he did for us. Yes. I was reading in, in a, actually, I wasn't reading anything. I was frying fish on, on Sunday night. 
we went out to my, my uh, in-law's house. I don't, they live on Lake Fork in Emory, Texas. And, man, I love that place. And, and so in, we're going out there. My father-in-law already has work lined out for me. And so we get the phone call on the way out there that I'm frying fish, which I like doing. I'm, I don't mind doing that. <clears throat> and so he had everything set up, the, you know, the, the, the burner and the, and the pan and the oil and all that stuff. So I'm standing up there frying, frying that fish. And I got to thinking about John chapter 21. Thinking about when Jesus, this is funny, it's interesting story. Can we just turn there for a moment? I'll finish with this, I promise. All right, this is really cool. All right. Never mind Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get to it next week. All right. We'll just start it all over. <laughs> we just might get all the Bible covered by, by the end of the night. John chapter 21. Let's just look at, at just start reading verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. I love the way that reads. And in this way he showed himself. All right? Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out immediately, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Anybody had that fishing trip before? They caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, obviously this is John, right? I love the way he writes about himself. The disciple who Jesus loved <laughs> said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes and jumped in the water. Makes sense of that, all right? He put his clothes on and jumped in the water. For he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in <laughs> the little boat, for they were not far from the land. Peter just couldn't help himself. I mean, they're just a, a few paces out from, from, from the shore. Peter's like, ah, Jesus, put the clothes on. He don't know what to do. You know, he just loses his mind, you know. Excited to see him. All right, so drag, uh, listen, they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. So what's going on? Jesus is cooking fish. He's standing on the shore cooking fish. I love this. Drag, then as soon as they'd come, they saw a fire of coals there with fish laid up. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153, one cast. And although there were so many fish, so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to him, come and eat breakfast. Okay, it says, and this is how he showed himself to them. All right, this is how he showed himself to them. A man standing on the shore frying fish. That's how he showed himself to them. Now, wait a second. Now, we have to remember, he's raised from the dead at this point. Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has completely rendered the power of the enemy powerless. He has emptied hell, led captivity captive. If it's time to show off it's now. Right? I mean, if you are, you are risen from the dead, right? If it's time to walk on water, it's now. Yeah. If it's time to show yourself glorified, it's now. But what does Jesus do? 
or frying fish on the shore. In all of his power, in all of his glory. So powerful. Frying fish. This is, tells us something really powerful about Jesus. He loves us so much that he also loves being a man. I mean, he showed his godliness. He showed his power when he said, cast that net over there. And man, we, they saw the power of God there. But they also saw the man, Brian Fish. See, he wants to under, us to understand just how relatable he is to us, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ is so relatable. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and fried fish for Pete's sake. And the Bible says that we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand us. But he is concerned with us. And that he is touched with the very feelings of our infirmities. See, he feels what you feel. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows the temptation that you face. He knows the trouble. He knows the disappointments. He knows all of those things. Because he's a man. Yeah. Amen. And that man, just a little while later, they watched him go up. The same man that was frying fish went up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God to make sure, to make sure that all of us men could go there too. As long as that man is seated at the right hand of God, all men have access to God. Hallelujah. So I want you to understand just how wonderful it is to be connected to Jesus and just how wonderful your life is being connected to Jesus and just how powerful your life is being connected to Jesus and just how much authority you have in this world being connected to Jesus because he is man and he is God. And next week we're going to talk about how that man, by what he did, elevated us all up to the same place he is. Woo! Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for locations and events. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church.